Good morning. How are you guys doing today? You're not sure how to answer that, are you, when I ask two questions at once? Sorry, I should just ask one of those questions. I'm Dwayne Arledge, Connections Pastor here. It's my privilege to continue the Grace Poured Out series this week. Uh, Pastor Charlie has been preaching for a few weeks a sermon series entitled Grace Poured Out from Ephesians 1-6 where it talks about God's grace poured out. The whole idea is that there is grace upon grace. In other words, there are heaps and heaps and mountains and mountains of God's grace. So whatever situation we face, anytime, anywhere, any place, there's enough grace. There's more than enough grace for that situation. Today, we're going to look at God's grace in weakness. I want to begin with a story. You can check up on me later. You can read the whole story in 2 Corinthians chapters 10 and 11, but I'm just going to tell you a bit of it now. You can go ahead to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to end up there in just a few minutes, Uh, but 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you can be looking for that. But the story is this. It's a story of a church in the city of Corinth, and the Apostle Paul planted this church. That is, he birthed it. He went to the city of Corinth. He started talking with people who were not believers in Jesus Christ, and he shared with them the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior, that He died for their sins, and they could be born again. People embraced that. They came to know Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul gathered them together in a group of people and called them the church at Corinth, and they began growing and maturing, telling other people about Jesus so they could come to know Christ. The Apostle Paul went on to start other churches in other cities, and he left behind leaders for that church so they could stay on course. Now, what happened was there were some false teachers, some false apostles came in who thought they were like super teachers and super apostles. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in this passage that I'm talking through, 2 Corinthians 10 and 11, He sarcastically called them super apostles. In other words, they think they are big stuff, but he's exposing their wrong teaching. Now, in order to gain credibility, these false teachers, these false apostles, are discrediting Paul because as Paul talks through, teaches, and writes to them, we see all of the things he's speaking against, and so we make a pretty strong assumption that what he's teaching against is what these false teachers are trying to dupe the people into believing. So he's not so concerned that they are trying to discredit him. But he is concerned that if they discredit him, then they discredit the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he needs to debunk their teachings in order to establish the truth of the gospel again in these people's minds in the church at Corinth. So these super apostles, as Paul sarcastically calls them, are teaching that they were the real Hebrews. They were children of Abraham. And the apostle Paul says, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a child of Abraham. They were saying, we're the real servants of Christ. They're saying that they had suffered hardship for the cause of Christ in an attempt to prove that you don't suffer for something you don't believe in. And so they were trying to gain credibility and, and worm their way in so they could be the teachers of the church. They, they seemed to say that Paul was weak 
in his teaching, that he was weak in his leadership, maybe even weak in his physical presence there, and that they were strong leaders, that they were more articulate, they were just better teachers, they had it more together, they were stronger, they didn't show the weaknesses that Paul had shown. So Paul says, if they're going to do that, then let me just for a few minutes act like a fool. You read it, that's what he says. I'll boast foolishly, he said. And so, he starts making a list. If those false teachers, these super apostles, think they're so much, let me tell you a few things. And so he says, five times I received 39 lashes. You see, the law was that they couldn't, in punishing someone and beating them with a whip, they couldn't uh, hit them more than 40 lashes. And so, the standard practice was 39 lashes just so they didn't go over the legal limit. Five times he'd received that beating with whips. Three times he'd received a beating with rods, these tiny rods tied together in bundles, and they would beat them with the rods. So, five times with the whip, three times with the rods. One time he was stoned and left for dead. Now, stoned means rocks, okay? You're hit with rocks. You just got to stay current here. Doesn't always mean that for us today. So we're not in the practice of stoning people with rocks. But he says, I was stoned and left for dead. God brought him back to health from being left for dead. Three times he was shipwrecked. And he said, I was adrift at sea for a night and a day. So just floating around on a, on a board or something from the ship. And then he says, I, I think this is hilarious. He said, and then I was in danger many times. I don't know if he's just piling up the, the heap, but I think those other things are more dangerous than saying, besides that, I was in danger. Then, then he goes on to the spiritual stuff. He says, if those super apostles think they are so much, then God has spoken to me. I've had, God has given me visions. God has given me revelations. That's a separate thing, saying what's going to come in the future, what's going to happen. There's one instance where he, he told them what was going to happen on the ship he was on. And that it was going to indeed wreck. And he gave them exactly what was going to happen the day before it happened. And that's what happened. God spoke to Paul and gave him revelations of what was coming. And he reminds this church in Corinth that he could boast and it would all be true. Strong implication that these others who are boasting are liars. And they're trying to use you for their own purposes he spends a long time in this letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth talking about how he could boast, his words were, in my flesh. In other words, the things I've done, the things I've experienced. I could boast in that. And he spends all of that time getting to one big idea that I believe we need to wrestle with as we look at God's grace. The one big idea is in 2 Corinthians 12. It's an idea so revolutionary that it's countercultural, not between Christians and the world out there. I think in this room, this idea is countercultural for every one of us. And so I, need, I think we need to spend some time with it this weekend. 2 Corinthians 12, we'll start reading at verse 7, and we're just going to read one kind of lengthy paragraph here. So the Apostle Paul is telling all of those amazing things, the crazy things, the hard things that have happened to him, and then the amazing things from God, and he says... So, to keep me from being too 
elated or overjoyed. Or you might even kind of plug in there too arrogant, too boastful. By the surpassing greatness of these revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Probably something physical, some physical ailment or handicap. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Do you get the idea that his pride could have gotten away with him? Just like ours can? Twice in one sentence he said, oh, here's why God gave me that, so I wouldn't be too overjoyed in my own self, that I wouldn't be too confident in my own self, that I wouldn't think too highly of myself. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now, I don't think on three different days he just said, God, it'd be really nice if you get rid of this. I think the picture is here, for a lengthy time, he begged God, God, would you please get rid of this? I could do so much more for you if you would get rid of this ailment, of this weakness, of this sickness, or whatever it was. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Listen, there's nothing greater than the power of Christ resting upon us. And that was Paul's desire. Verse 10, for the sake of Christ then, in other words, put in there for the sake of Christ, for God's glory then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Not the list of what we're hoping to get today, is it? I'm not saying, oh, I would like to have some weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities happen today. God, could you make that happen? Nobody prays that way when they get up in the morning. Paul says, for when I am weak, he's getting the picture here, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul keeps talking about weakness. Now, let me be clear. He is not talking about what we often think of as a weakness. You see, this is not a sin issue. He's not talking about a sin issue. If you're taking notes, as you should be, either on version on your phone or on your tablet or on the paper, whatever you're doing, if you're, if you're taking notes, if you're not, start right now. Write this down. A weakness is not a sin issue. Just be really clear. So you see, a man might say, well, I have a weakness for beautiful women. That's not a weakness. That's lust. That's a sin issue. Someone might say, well, I have a weakness for alcohol or gambling. Uh, you know, the alcohol wrecked my life or the gambling wrecked my life. I have a weakness for anger. I have a weakness that I, when somebody does something against me, I just can't forgive them. None of those are weaknesses. Every one of those are sin issues in our lives. You see, we make the choice to walk into those things. And so it's a matter of trusting God and obeying in those. So we're not talking about that. What we're talking about here in Paul's case and in the Scripture is either a physical issue, but not a sin issue, or some kind of thing like that. It affects everything you do. It may be something you're born with. It may be something you, a chronic illness you contracted through no fault of your own. It just happens. Or some other thing you're raised in your family with, some challenge in your life, or some situation that you did nothing to get and you can do nothing about. Not a sin issue. 
For instance, Moses in the Old Testament, the guy who God used to deliver Israel from the Egyptian slavery. Moses tried to tell God, I, I can't talk. Most, most Bible scholars think he stuttered. And he tried to tell God, how can you use me? I can't go do that because I have this weakness. And look what God did with Moses. So it's the same picture here. Paul is, is saying, I begged God three times and, to get rid of this weakness. It was not a sin issue. It's not your tendency toward a certain sin. Okay? Got that established? Now let's look. I want to just walk through the Scriptures, these few verses here, these few sentences, and pick up some of the big things the Apostle Paul is saying to us. One big idea, and then I want to answer two questions that are kind of drop-downs for me when I get to that big idea. And under each of these, I just kind of think and and digest Scripture this way. There are several little drop-down menus. So, Get your pens or your thumbs or whatever you're writing with ready, and let's get all of these because I'm challenging you to take this home and let the Holy Spirit continue to digest this throughout the week in your life. First thing Paul says and teaches us is this. God's plan is not to make me stronger. His plan is to make me weaker. Now, none of us by nature say, That sounds like fun. We just don't sign up for that easily, do we? But that's God's plan. Now, Paul could have boasted of strength, and he said, hey, bear with me for a minute. I'm going to talk like a fool. And he boasted about some stuff, and then he said, but that's not God's plan. God's plan is to make me weaker. I'll give you three reasons God wants to make us weaker, okay? First, to strip me of self-sufficiency. Self. When I am full of self, when I am sufficient in myself, guess what? The attention goes to me. It's all about me. We have so much of that tendency in us anyway. I want it to be all about me. And most of us, if it's all about us and we're on easy street, we're not highly concerned that there may be somebody somewhere who's having a struggle. And so he strips us of self-sufficiency. In verse 7, he says it this way, So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations. In other words, all of the things I've done that make me look strong, God doesn't want me to be too arrogant, too elated about those things. Second thing we need to uh, understand about God making us weaker is that it's to remind me that all spiritual strength comes from Him. Not just some spiritual strength, but all spiritual strength. You see, I get in a situation where I have to depend on God. I'm hurting, I'm in pain, and and I cry out to God, and He works in me. He works through me, and He brings me through that. Here's my tendency. I suspect it may be yours as well. The next time a situation like that comes along, here's what I do. Hey, God, this looks familiar. I got this one. You ever do that? Sure you have. I've got this one, God. We need to be reminded that all sufficiency comes from God every time. Verse 9, the Apostle Paul says it this way. God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Sufficient, more than enough, grace upon grace. For my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so the power of Christ may rest on me. 
Earlier in this same letter, before he launched into this tirade against those false teachers, he said this in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. He says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. In other words, anything good that happens, we can't claim it came from us. It came from God's power. But our sufficiency is from God. Now, I've heard people say, I just don't believe God will put more on me than I can handle. Have you heard that? I disagree 1,000% with that statement. Steve McVeigh, in his book, Grace Walk, buy the book. Uh, go, go to iBooks or Amazon and download it. Grace Walk by Steve McVeigh. It's a great book. He said it this way, I believe God will put heavier burdens on you than you can bear. Especially when he's trying to get you to the place of brokenness. And if you say, what in the world is brokenness? That's me getting to the end of myself. You getting to the end of yourself. God will allow the burden to be greater than you can bear. So you will finally allow him to bear it for you. God's purpose in the breaking process is to bring you to the end of your own resources so that you'll be ready to understand that He's the only resource you need in life. As long as your own abilities are sufficient to rise to the challenge, you'll never understand that He doesn't just give strength. He is your strength. In the breaking process, God has no intention of helping you get stronger. He wants you to become so weak that He can express Himself as the strength you need in every situation. Our strength comes from Him and only from Him. The third thing about getting weaker. He's making us weaker so all the glory goes to Him. All the glory goes to Him. Let me just insert. If I operate in such a way in a situation that all the glory comes to me and you get left out, let's say we're working on a team, accomplishing something, and I maneuver so all the glory comes to me and none of the glory goes to you, Guess what? I don't deserve that glory. But anytime all the glory goes to God, He deserves all the glory. Because He's the one who is holy. He's the one who is pure. He's the one who has all integrity. He's the one who has all power. And so He deserves the glory. So it's perfectly in character for Him to receive the glory because He deserves it. So all the glory goes to Him. Verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with all these weaknesses for the sake of Christ. Simply put, that is, for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus even taught this to us. In Matthew chapter 5, he's teaching some people who are working to obey the Lord, and he says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others. In other words, do obey the Lord. Do what's right. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Not give glory to you. Not see your good works and applaud you as you walk across the platform. But they can give glory to the Father in heaven. Now, I'm sure there's some of you who might say, because I have these thoughts in the back of my mind, well, what's the worst that could happen if I work at being strong and I try to throw off this weakness that God has put on me, that God has brought in my life? And by some effort of my own, I actually accomplish some level of strength. What's the worst that could happen? Somebody can look up to me and say, hey, if he does it, maybe I can do it. 
That's a good human rationale. But here's, here's the thing. That uh, mindset, that type of thinking is kind of like the, the giant tree beside the, the road that the drunk driver swerves and hits head on and it kills him. Just by allowing that thinking to stand in our lives, we have this tree that run into headlong can kill us. We have wrong thinking, thinking that doesn't line up with God's Word. It lines up with human rationale, but it doesn't line up with God's Word. So, some of you also may be thinking, well, I've memorized some Scripture. I read the Bible, and I know in Joshua 1.9, maybe it's one of your verses that you've memorized too, that, that God told Joshua, be strong. And I got that verse, and when I'm struggling, I go, be strong. Well, I went through dozens, dozens. I just did a search. Went through dozens of verses that say, be strong. We're going to look at five of those verses, but I guarantee if you go do a search, you're going to find the same thing that we find in these five verses. We're going to start with that one in Joshua, in case that's one of your favorite verses you memorized. Joshua 1.9. God says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now let's take that apart. If you leave off that Lord your God is with you wherever you go, then there's no way to be strong or courageous. And there is every reason in the world to be frightened and dismayed. So this be strong has very little to do with any of us and has everything to do with God. In the book of Psalms, there's a ton of verses about be strong. We're going to look at two of these. Psalm 27, 14 says this, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. So if you're going to be strong, what do you need to do? Let me hear you a little louder. Yes. And if I don't wait for the Lord, if I'm doing it all on my own strength, I can't be strong. Psalm 31, 24 says it this way. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Same phrase. All you who, what? Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. In other words, I don't rush in depending on my strength. I wait for God to provide the strength. Isaiah 35, 4 says it this way. Say to those who have an anxious heart. You ever had an anxious heart? Sure you have. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, here's why you can be strong. Your God will come. And at the end of that verse, he says he will come and save you. Strong implication, maybe stronger than implied, that if the Lord doesn't come and save you, there's no reason to be strong and courageous. Ephesians 6, verse 10 <coughs> Excuse me. It says this. The Apostle Paul is writing. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. There is no real strength apart from the Lord and His might. So God's not interested. My conclusion is God's not interested in our strength. In my weakness, He can show Himself strong. He can bring glory to His name. And remember, we already established He's the one who deserves the glory. Second thing Paul teaches us is this, or actually the two questions I have after him teaching that God's not interested in my strength, but only in my weakness and me getting weaker is this. Okay, how can I boast in my weakness? The apostle Paul said to boast in the weakness. 
You see, my nature is only to boast in what I'm good at, what I can draw attention to myself for, what I can excel at. And the Bible says we need to learn how to boast the way Scripture teaches us to. Verse 9, the Apostle Paul says it this way, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so the power of Christ may rest on me. Now, I think there's a wrong understanding of boasting. Let me give you just a few wrong understandings here. One is telling people that I can't be used by the Lord as much as others who don't have my particular weakness. In other words, if I could just get rid of this physical problem, if I could just get rid of this disease, if I could just get rid of this chronic illness, if I could just get rid of this problem that came from my lifelong family struggles, if I could just get rid of those things, then God could use me more like He does Joe or Bill or Susie or whoever is in your life that you think God's using more than you. That's, that's not boasting. That's just talking about why God messed up. Another along that same line, wrong understanding of boasting in my weakness is this. Believing that I have the right to be frustrated with God because He gave me this weakness. If, if, if that's a lot of things to write down, put one word down, complaining. I know people, and sometimes that person has been the guy who looks me back in the face in the mirror, who talk about the weakness they have, but the undercurrent is complaining that God gave it to them in the first place. Have you heard that? Maybe you heard it coming out of your own mouth like I have a few times. We talk about it and we pretend to be boasting about what God's doing, but the undercurrent is we're just griping and complaining. Verse 9 says this, I will boast all the more gladly, not angrily. And complaining has no gladness in it. Another thing that's a wrong understanding of boasting is using my weakness as an excuse for not overcoming sin in my life. In other words, well, if I didn't have this, I wouldn't be doing that. That's just a, a wrong understanding of what God teaches about overcoming sin. Jesus said, I've overcome the world. And the, the Scripture teaches when we submit to Him that, that He'll help us to overcome sin. We're confusing weakness with the reason we sin. Remember, weakness is not a sin issue. So let's look at the right understanding of boasting. The word boasting here means glorying. Not a word we use very often, but it's uh, taking glory in it, being very glad. Uh, it's bragging that I'm glad things are the way they are. You got the picture? So the Apostle Paul says, uh, I've been bragging about these other foolish things, so let me set the record straight of what, how God would have us to act. And so He's going to brag that he's glad the things are the way they are. That attitude can only come from God's grace being poured out in huge measures time after time after time. So right understanding of boasting is this, just a couple of comments. Admitting that he's the only one who has the grace and power to overcome my weakness. I start by admitting that. I'm not complaining about my weakness. I'm not complaining that God gave this to me. I'm just saying, don't understand it. I may not even yet enjoy this, but I'm going to start by admitting he's the only one who has the grace, the power to overcome it. And then I'm going to choose to just start boasting 
bragging that he provides all the grace, the strength, the power I could ever need. That it all, absolutely all, comes from him. All comes from him. All throughout Scripture you find verses proving that our strength always comes from him. Anything he calls us to, he gives us the strength. The second question, your third major point. How can I learn to be content in my weakness? He's talked about boasting in it. But let's go beyond that. Let's be content in it. Now, when I read this in the English here, verse 10, it says this. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses. And it gives the list. I, I can read that and say, okay, for the sake of Christ, I'll settle for this weakness. We kind of sound like Eeyore. Well, I am happy. You know, if you ever watched that. And I think we just subtly sidestep what it's really saying. It's not saying, well, okay, I guess I'll settle for that. The, the Greek word here that's translated into the English as content means this, to be well pleased with or to take pleasure in. Now, that's a far cry from what I just said about that verse, isn't it? So, let me read my translation, my expanded translation of that and give you just kind of a paragraph for you to just listen through. I think it's saying this, for the sake of Jesus Christ, I'll take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities because when I'm at my weakest, then and only then, he can come into my desperate situation and show himself powerful on my behalf. Then I'll have all the strength I need to get through the situation victoriously. I will be strong, but I will be strong in the Lord. So by faith in God's grace, I'm going to choose to be well-pleased, to take pleasure in my weakness, while I watch to see how God shows himself to be strong. Let me give you a simple formula for being content. I'm saying it's simple. I'm not saying it's easy to do. All right? Four things that I would challenge you to consider in being content in the weaknesses God brings in your life. First, trust His heart. In other words, when you can't see what the end is going to be, when you can't see where He's going with it, when you don't even care where He's going with it, you just want to be out from under it, trust His heart. You can trust Him. God is always for you. He's never against you as His child. Second thing I would say, believe His Word. Really embrace and believe His Word. You see, Jesus taught that the truth will set you free. Now, when you choose to believe His Word, here's what I want you to, to grasp. The truth will set you free. But first, it will usually really irritate you. Did you get that? You think of the times a pastor or some truth teller told you a truth and you walked out, you were just ticked. And you think how many times later when you finally came around and embraced that truth, how that it was freedom for you. And so even today, if you're thinking, well, I know the Bible says this stuff about weakness, but I don't like it and so I just won't read that part anymore or whatever it is, believe His Word. And if the truth irritates you, that's okay. Believe it because it will set you free. The third thing I would say, I need to let him change my thinking. In Romans 12, it says, 
Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And listen, changing your thinking is not some multi-step process. When God's truth comes in, it's like you're running on this railroad track, and you realize you're on the wrong one. And the truth comes in, and you just switch to the other track. It's as simple as stopping believing the wrong things. It's as if someone told you that on the the three lights at at an intersection, that when the, the red one is on, that's the signal for you to proceed through the intersection. You do that a few times, you get hit, you get maimed, you get hurt, and somebody comes in with the truth of, by the way, the green light is the one that means go. Red means don't even think about going through the intersection. If you will just change your thinking, you're okay. You embrace that truth, so you let Him change your thinking. He can do that supernaturally if you'll submit to Him and if you'll quit doing what most of us do, and that is persisting in our own selfish will, wanting our way. The fourth thing, if I'm going to be content, I need to choose to be content, C-H-O-O-S-E. You see, when we think about contentment, we usually think it's a result. In other words, if everything is just in order, then I can be content. The Bible doesn't teach it that way at all. The Bible teaches that contentment is available to us as His children, as believers, and if we'll choose to be content with what God is doing and what God desires, we will be content. That goes against the grain for most of us, doesn't it? Choose to be content. Here's my question for you today. How will you respond to this truth that God doesn't want to make you stronger? That in fact, His plan is to make you weaker. How can you learn to boast in in the weakness He's given you? And how can you learn to be overjoyed, content in that weakness? Charles H. Spurgeon, great British pastor from the 19th century, Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle in London, nearly two centuries ago, got it right, dead on when he said this, we shall bring our Lord most glory if we get from Him much grace. We shall bring our Lord most glory if we get from Him much grace. So the question is, when it comes to this weakness stuff, will you choose to get from Him much grace? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Every week we come to this part in our worship service, and we offer the opportunity for anyone to whom the Lord is speaking, that they can receive much grace. Our prayer partners will be here in just a a few minutes, and you'll have the opportunity to come and have them pray for you. Now, they don't have the grace you need, but they're here to minister God's presence in your life and to help you come to Him and the truth He provides so that you can receive much grace from Him. I don't know what situation in your life exists that needs much grace. But I'm convinced of this, that many, many here today have already realized 
that in this service, before this ends, they need to do something to get much grace. Maybe to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The prayer partners would love to help you with that. Maybe there's some chronic situation in your life and you have not viewed it the way God's Word views it. And you want someone to just pray with you so you can have much grace in that weakness. I don't know what the situation is. Family situations, job situations, financial situations. But God offers you today much grace here at this response time and for our prayer time. I'm going to pray in just a moment. After I pray, I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And when I ask everyone to stand, if you need prayer, we all need prayer at some time, and you know who you are already. If you need prayer, when we all stand, will you come immediately? Prayer partners will be coming. There will be people walking with you. You won't be by yourself coming forward for prayer. And you come and receive much grace.